0: promise what a blessing amen the grace and power of our of our great god our lord our savior our king uh, with us today to answer prayer with us today as we dive into his word once again so let me read our text this morning it's from Matthew chapter 10 Matthew chapter 10 verses 1 through 15 please remain standing as we read the word of god together hear the word of the Lord. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these, first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, And proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your money, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. This is the word of the Lord. Father, bless this word now. Take this text of scripture and all that it entails and teaches us about Christ and all the principles that we draw out of it and Apply them into our hearts. Let them sink deeply. And let us once again stand together as your people in awe at Jesus the Christ. Lord, thank you for Matthew's gospel. And as we dive back into it, Lord, I pray you'd open our understanding in unique ways, Lord. Reveal yourself to us. Grow us. Change us. Send us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And please have a seat. And uh, we're diving back into Matthew's gospel. We spent most of last year through going through Matthew's gospel. We got up to the end of chapter 9, and then we paused for the Christmas season, and then last month talking about prayer, as this year our theme is to be a church who prays without ceasing. And now we dive back into Matthew. and. Kind of picking back up into the story, but before we go there, I just want you to, I don't know, think about, think back maybe, I don't know how many of you are sports people, but uh, as a kid, I'm sure you played games. And do you remember playing a game and, uh, or, you know, picking captains and then you have two different people, uh, you know, picking teams and then you got all the kids lined up, right? And and, and what happens when teams start getting picked? (laughs) They pick the best first. They pick the, the, the fastest, the strongest, the tallest, right? They, they pick the ones who, are, who, who, are, who they know are going to be the best for their team. But as we look at this passage this morning, I want us to understand some incredible things here about God. Because God's ways are not our ways. Right? We're a culture, I mean, we, we celebrate the Tom Brady's of the world, not the Ryan Leafs. If you understand football, <laughs> we, we, we lift up, right, the, the, the ones who stand out and, and shine, but God has a way of taking the weakest and the least of those and turning them into something incredible and doing amazing things with them. And that's what we're seeing here in our passage this morning. We're seeing God, in essence, taking some building materials, Right I mean, you don't build that way according to human understanding. You don't take a couple of, a bunch of flawed two-by-fours with holes all over them and, and wood rot. You don't take cracked drywall and rusted nails and build a beautiful house out of them, do you? God's ways are not our ways. As we look back in reviewing this passage and, and, and looking at the whole gospel of Matthew, we saw so far, a few different sections. The first three chapters of Matthew really were introductory. It was, it was Matthew setting the stage to a Jewish audience primarily. Matthew, a good Jew, writing to primarily Jewish believers. And, and he, he's wanting them to understand who Jesus is as the Messiah, as the long-awaited and promised hope of Israel. And so he sets the first three chapters up that way, and he, he really presents Jesus as the new Moses. And, and, and Messiah is the son of David. He's the seed of Abraham. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. And then we came into sections or chapters 4 through 7, and we, we see the kingdom of God announced. And then we see the kingdom ethics taught out in the sermon On the Mount. Like here, the kingdom of God has come. It is being inaugurated. Jesus is declaring, following in the preparation of John the Baptizer, who also declared the kingdom of heaven is come. And then Jesus taught us how we live in the kingdom on these incredible passages of the Sermon on the Mount that we read. And we see towards the end of that how Jesus was the fulfillment of the Torah, how he he transforms hearts. From the inside out to love God and then to love others. And then we've gone through the last uh, couple of chapters, chapters 8 through 10, which began a whole new section as we see the, the kingdom as a day-to-day reality in people's lives. We see discipleship walked out. And we see Matthew being very intentional in how he was writing, where we saw nine stories of, of incredible acts of grace and power, these miracles and healings that Jesus accomplished. And we saw them in sections of three. Three incredible, powerful works of God, and then a call. Jesus says, Follow me to someone. Three more incredible acts and power of God, and then Jesus says, Follow me. And then we see three more incredible acts and power and works of Jesus, and now we come to chapter 10. And Jesus isn't just going to say, follow me. He's going to say, you go do what I've done. You've been following me, now you go. He's going to send the 12 out to Israel. And he's going to let them know, we're going to find out, to to expect acceptance and to expect rejection. Rejection. To set the stage, let's just review a little bit backwards into chapter 9. In verse 39, or 35 of chapter 9, it says this, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. Remember that line. Verse 36, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion On them. We looked at that word as literally meaning bowels, just from the from the guts, from the inner part of us, this compassion that rises up. Jesus is looking at the great multitudes of people, and he has this deep compassion for them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Remember that line. Verse 37: then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus is using these word pictures to help us understand. He's looking out on the people and he sees them as sheep that are harassed and helpless and weak and suffering, and he has great compassion on them, and, and he he wants to do something about it. And then he looks at the same field, if you will, and, and before we, we jump into thinking about it as missions for our day, understand it in their day. Jesus is literally looking out at the, the Israelites, his fellow Jews, and he's looking at them like a harvest field. It's plentiful. But the laborers are few, therefore you, you twelve, you disciples, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. When the Bible speaks of harvest, especially in the Old Testament, it it had some specific meanings to it. And oftentimes it it, it meant judgment. Judgment. God spoke throughout the prophets of the Old Testament and spoke of, of wrath and judgment and a harvest coming in to, to reap in his judgment. And yet, it was also spoken of as joy, a time of, of great joy. Jesus is kind of taking these same Jewish themes and he's applying them into this current situation. We'll see it later again in chapter 13 where he tells of the kingdom of God as the parable of the wheat and the tares. That they're all mixed together and when the harvest comes, yes, there's time of judgment, but there's time also of great joy at the wheat that is brought into the harvest of God. You see, we have to understand this especially text, actually the whole New Testament, the most important historical context for the New Testament is always the Old Testament. We have to understand it in light of the Old. Then we can really grasp its truth. And so we come to our text today with that understanding. And we see two important truths this morning. Point number one, that Jesus calls ordinary people to himself. Ordinary people. It verse says in verse one, and he called to him his twelve Disciples. Again, keep a note of that number 12. There's a, there's a reason. Why not 13? Why not 14? Why not 11? Why, when Judas Iscariot betrayed him and later hung himself and died in, in the book of Acts, did they bring one more on to have the 12? We'll, we'll study that a bit more de- depth in depth in, in the coming future of Matthew. But understand again, this is a Jewish book. Twelve had great significance, the twelve tribes of Israel. And so Jesus calls to him his twelve, notice it says disciples. A disciple is, is a student. A disciple is a, is a learner. And they had been students of Jesus, learners of the, of the ways of Jesus, walking in his footsteps. But he, he now does something different in their lives. He's about to transform their lives even further. He takes his twelve disciples and it says he calls them to himself. Now, there were other disciples. There's a whole bunch of them at this point. But he takes these 12 and he brings them to himself and it says he he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Remember I told you those words from chapter 9? Jesus is doing something amazing here. He's, He's taking this authority, this exousia we talked about. This authority or power or ruling that he has, and now he's, tra- he, he's delegating it to these 12 men. It goes on in verse 2 and says, Now the names of the 12 apostles... Do you see the shift? He called the 12 disciples. He gives them authority. He empowers them with his own power. And now they all of a sudden are apostles. Why? Because he's about to send them out, which is the word, what the word apostle means. The, the sent ones, ones sent forth with power. The names of the 12 apostles are these. He's first Simon, which Simon always comes first, right? Peter was known as the leader of the 12. He stood out. He, he, he didn't have any more authority than the 12, but he was kind of the first among the equals. Maybe it was because of his big mouth. Who knows? He was bold, he was brash, he was unafraid and unashamed most of the time. (laughs) Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the what? Tax collector. It's kind of interesting. Why don't they say Peter, the fisherman? Matthew's writing this, and he includes in his own biography is himself, Matthew, he wants to make sure everybody knows, I'm the tax collector. I'm the despised one. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot. A zealot was, a, in essence, a Jewish nationalist. Those who were willing to take up the sword and, and fight and, 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 and were wanting a rebellion against Rome to, to take back over the, the nation. Simon was this, this zealot. He probably had been transformed by Jesus to, to, to be different, but probably to differentiate him from the other Simon, Peter, Matthew lets us know he was this zealot, and then Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Now as we consider these men, we look at them and we say, What's, what great men. Well, that's only because we know the end of the story, but do you understand at this point in their history and even further on into the story that these men were not the cream of the crop? These guys were not the most highly educated. Take Peter, for instance. He's just a fisherman. He's a blue-collar, hard-working guy, a little bit brash, was not highly educated. Was not going to the Harvard of Jerusalem. Some, you know, did, did, okay, I know what his greatest strengths were. I know why Jesus picked him. Because of his great common sense. He never fell on his face. Right? Oh, no, well, okay, okay, maybe not that. How about because he was, he was so wise and how he was slow to speak and quick to hear. That was his strength. That's why Jesus picked him. No, can't check that box either. How about his fierce loyalty? The guy would give his life and just lay it down for you, except when the little girl sees him by the campfire and tells him he was with Jesus. Or when he was having lunch with the Jewish people up in Galatia. You see, these not only are ordinary men, but we can go on down the list. You could perhaps even say they were subpar men. They were despised in the eyes of the world. They were looked down upon. And these are the 12 that Jesus picks. He didn't pick them because of their great unity. All these guys all are on the same page. They all get along. Come on, you got Matthew, the tax collector. Working for the Roman government, and Simon the zealot, the guy that wants to kill Matthew. And he brings this odd group of ten or excuse me, twelve men together, and they've been following him now throughout this season. And they've seen him do these incredible works, and they've seen him and heard him teach. And that teaching is getting written onto their heart and they're being transformed. And then Jesus says, all right, I bring you to myself. And I'm about to do something incredible with you ordinary guys. I'm going to send you out. It's an amazing thing. He delegates his authority to them and he sends them out. Aren't you thankful that God chooses some ordinary people? Secondly, Jesus then sends out the ordinary for extraordinary purposes. It's amazing what Jesus is about to do with these guys. And I hope you grasp this. Just for memory's sake, I got five Ps about the sending here. So letter A, the first P, the prohibition of Jesus. As Jesus sends them out, he he sends them out, but he gives them a prohibition. He says, you can't do this, do this. Why? Because this is a unique mission in redemptive history. This is, this is what Paul wrote about, in essence, when, in Romans 1, when he says that the gospel is for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Jesus, as a Jew, is about to send his fellow Jewish apostles to the Jewish people, the natural heirs of the kingdom. So in verse 5 he says these 12 Jesus sent out instructing them go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What's going on here? Does Jesus not care about Gentiles? No, they're going to have their time. It's coming. But Jesus is here and Jesus is here on a particular mission and Matthew a Jewish man writing to a primarily Jewish audience, writing about a Jewish Savior. It's a very Jewish gospel filled with these Old Testament references. Matthew wants us to know something about what Jesus is doing with his people. What's happening is, is, in essence, Jesus is reconstituting his new people from the seed of the old. He's fulfilling and accomplishing his promises thousands of years previous. In Ezekiel chapter 34, we get a clue on what Jesus is doing here. If you uh, flip over to Ezekiel 34, it's up on your screen too. In verse 11, it says this, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. If you read the first 10 verses of Ezekiel chapter 34, you see the prophet looking out upon the the, the sheep of God and they're all hurting and they're, they're wounded and they're starving. They're not being fed by their shepherds. And the prophet Ezekiel issues some really harsh words to the shepherds of the people of Israel. And he's saying, in essence, you're not feeding them, you're not helping them, you're actually killing them. You're hurting them. He's he's pointing to Israel's bad shepherds. And then in verse 11 of Ezekiel 34, God says this amazing thing. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I myself am going to go search for my sheep and seek them out. Verse 12 says, as a shepherd seeks out his flock, when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep And I will rescue them from all places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I'll bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. And I will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall there be grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, I will bring back the strayed, I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy, I will feed them in justice." Again, this is an amazing thing. Right before the disciples' eyes, this scripture passage is now coming alive. This prophecy from many years ago from Ezekiel. That the good shepherd would come and the good shepherd would look out upon the people and have great compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd because their shepherds had turned away from the Lord. Yes, they had shepherds, but their shepherds were devouring their own sheep. Their shepherds were using their own sheep. So Jesus says, I am recovering my sheep. I'm coming after them. I'm regathering them up and I'm pulling them to myself. You see, there was a a beautiful glory for Israel. A glory of the Jewish people. Paul wrote about it in Romans chapter 9. And if you read Romans 9 through 11, we don't have time to get into all of it today, but it lays out some beautiful thoughts and, and, and understandings of w- what God has done and is doing and will do with the Jewish people. In verse 4 of chapter 9, he says, They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. This is why Paul said all the way back in Romans chapter 1, that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Why the Jew first? Because it indicates the priorities of the Jews in salvation history. It speaks of their election as as God's people. The Jew first, not because God is somehow partial, but because going back to Abraham, God chose to focus on the salvation of, of people from all nations by singling out this one nation and making his saving presence known in the world primarily through them. And now through them has come the Messiah. The Christ, the promised one, he's on the scene, he's arrived. And he loves his people. And he looks out upon his people and he sees them wandering and and beat up and abused. And so he goes after them. He understands more than anyone what Paul wrote about in Romans uh, chapter 11, verse 1 through 5, when he said, I asked then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? He felt alone. You might remember the story. Elijah's like, I'm the only one doing anything. All the other people have turned their backs. And God says in verse 4, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there's a remnant chosen by grace, Paul writes. God always has his remnant. Always. Always. nation of Israel at the time of Christ was in shambles. It was a mess. And when Jesus comes, he's not coming to somehow reform Pharisaic Judaism. He's not coming to put a band-aid on a few things that are scratched. He's coming to bring something new. He's coming with new wine that has to be poured into new wineskins, and yet that coming in no way neglects or disinherits the people of God. In fact, he always has his people. And so Jesus, as the good shepherd, in light of Ezekiel 34, is come to the lost sheep of Israel. They're scattered they're mixed in with the weed and the tares, and, and he comes to seek them because he's a really good shepherd. He comes to pursue them and to rescue them and to heal them and to fill them and to feed them because he's a good shepherd. He's come to lead them beside the still waters because he's a good shepherd. And how, has he, how is he doing it? This is what blows my mind. He gets these 10-week, Flawed men together. He says, I'm making you under-shepherds. And I'm gonna go display my power through you. Letter C, we see the power of Jesus. That was letter B, the purpose of Jesus. I didn't I think I f- forgot to mention that. The power of Jesus in verse 8: heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Again, their power is not in and of themselves. It's an extension of his power. It's a delegated power. And in that power, what are they to do? How are they to use that power? They're to use it as a reversal of what the bad shepherds, the wicked shepherds did in Ezekiel 34. In verse 3 of Ezekiel 34, it says, You eat the fat. Talking to the wicked shepherds, you clothe yourselves with the wool. You you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak, you have not strengthened. The sick, you have not healed. The injured, you have not bound up. The strayed, you have not brought back. The lost, you have not sought. And with force and harshness, you've ruled them so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountain and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. This is why God says, I'm going to do it myself. This is why Jesus as the one sent by God, God himself in human flesh, come to seek the lost. Come to look out upon the lost sheep of Israel and to have deep compassion from the gut for them and to go after them, to go get them. That's what he's doing. He's sending his 12. Go get them. Go gather them in. Gather in the remnant. We see letter D, the provision of Jesus. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff for the laborer deserves his food. This is Jesus' way of saying, well, a couple of things for us to understand. This mission was a quick mission we have to be careful when we approach the Bible because we can't just interpret it any way we want, right? We have to interpret it in its context and, and, and according to its proper interpretation. And, and and we have to be careful about taking passages like this that are narratives and just, you know, causing, I've heard for instance missionaries do that, like you know, I'm going to go be a missionary to Africa. Well, great. Well, you know, and, and, and he has nothing, right? He has Well, God's just going to provide and I understand that, but don't presuppose upon God, because we see throughout the book of Acts, God had made provision through his people. And we see this in principle here. We see Jesus letting them know because of the speed of this mission, it's not going to take 2,000 years. You only got a little bit of time. I'm only here for three years of ministry, and I'm dying. And I'm rising, and then I'm ascending, and then the the mission to the world is going to begin. In the meantime, you 12 what you have from me, Jesus is saying, is a gift. The message of the kingdom is a gift. The power that you've received is delegated power. It's a gift. It's not coming from within you. It's a gift from God. And so they, they could have gone with, with all this power that they had, they, healing the sick, raising the dead, doing all these amazing things. They could have, they could have really developed a social media following. They would would get millions of likes. The news stations would be out covering them. Amazing things happening. They could have made a whole lot of money off of this. Jesus is saying, you only have what I gave you. Go give it away. It was common in these ancient days for such, quote, unquote, miraculous works that, that phony Teachers would, would come about and do miracles and they would just basically uh, you know, steal from the people. And Jesus is saying, you're not those kind of guys. You've received without paying, go give without pay. And here's what's going to happen. The people of God, the remnant, is going to provide for your needs. Then we see letter E, the pattern of Jesus. Verse 11, And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. What is he saying? He's saying just because your, your needs are going to get met along the way, just like mine are, you're going to go to different towns and villages and you're going to meet people that are going to accept the word of, of, of the proclamation of the kingdom. They're going to accept your message and they're going to welcome you in and they're going to house you and they're going to feed you and they're going to take care of you. Let your peace, let your blessings stay on that house. But then there's going to be others, other households that are not worthy That are going to hear the message of of Messiah and they're going to be like, what is that? It's foolishness. It's crazy. I don't accept it. And Jesus says, if that happens, then let your peace return to you. Don't bless that house. Move on. Don't get in an argument with them. Don't fight with them. Just move on. Go preach to the next town. Go preach to the next person. Go preach to the next people. Verse 14, and if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. This was an amazing word, actually, because what, where are they going? To the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And they're saying they can't go to the Gentile regions. They can't go to Samaria. They're sticking to Israel. And he's saying, if anyone doesn't listen to you, if they don't hear the words, here's what you do. You do what the average Jew does when he walks through the region of the Gentiles or the region of Samaria. That polluted region, that wicked region, that that land that we don't want anything to do with. So when we reach the border and we come to Israel, I'm going to take my sandals off and I'm going to... Beat them off and take all the dust and wipe it off my feet because I don't want to drag anything that's impure into God's holy land. And Jesus is saying, you go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and there's going to be many that are just going to reject your message. There's going to be some that are going to receive it and bless those. But if, if, they, if those that don't, if, if there's a town that says, get out of here, we don't want you, shake the dust off of your feet. Move on they're just like the Gentiles. They're not following God. He gets even harsher in verse fifteen. He says, "Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town." That is, that is a. Uh, it's quite the statement. We know what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah, a town that was so vile and wicked and the judgment of God fell upon it and it burned it up, literally. The sin that raged in that town. And Jesus is telling his his apostles here when they don't receive the word of God, they don't hear the word of God, listen to the word of God, There's a judgment coming that's worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. Why is that? There is a biblical principle that the greater the light, the greater the light that is shed upon your heart, the greater the responsibility. These chosen people of God had the history, had the birthright, had the covenants, had the light and then the brightest light they had, could ever see is now coming into their land and they push him away. We're going to see as we continue on in Matthew some very serious persecution that Jesus is going to talk about is, is going to come to these men's lives these 12 who are now proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom to the lost house of Israel. And even as the people of God are being reconstituted, if you will, regathered, that the lost sheep are being brought in, we see incredible principles that we can now use in our lives. This passage of scripture and this message and this mission was for the Jews. But what about us today? Well, it helps us understand a few things that we can apply. First, let us consider that Jesus is a really, really, really good shepherd. That he loves his sheep. He loves his sheep so much he pursues his sheep. He comes after them. You say, well, here he was after the Jews. Well, it's true, and later on he's going to say, I have other sheep who are not of this fold. Let's go to them. Whether you're Jewish or Gentile, it doesn't matter. Jesus comes after you. (laughs) He comes after you. And when that light shines upon us, what a beautiful light it is, let us not reject it. Let us take that light and let us bow before the light of Christ. Let us worship him, let us serve him, and then let us get on mission with him. Motivated by the same thing he was motivated by. Did you notice the pattern? The the apostles were to go out they were doing the same exact things that Jesus has been doing. Let us also go out motivated by the same compassion that Jesus has to look upon people who are lost and to care deeply from our guts for them to want to proclaim the message of the gospel to them. You say, I I don't know, I can't do that. I'm not strong enough. I don't know enough. I'm weak. You don't know my history. You don't know my background. Do you see the 12 people he used? Remember who God uses. You don't have to be great to reach the least of these. God uses ordinary people like me. Ordinary people like you. In fact, God loves to do that. In 1 Corinthians 1.25, it says this, "...for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise." He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Why? Here's his purpose. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written let the one who boasts boast in the lord see this is why god uses us it's why he takes a weak man like me and puts his power and strength in me till even though i might feel weak i can do something amazing for his glory not so we can go good job brian so we can go wow isn't god great if he can use brian he can use anybody This is an amazing thing. And that's true for every believer. Every one of us. Big, small, even you little kids. You might think you're too young. I have to wait and grow up to serve God. You can't. Little William Gamble, you can serve God right now. He's going to use you mightily right now. All of us. By his grace. It's an amazing thing what God has done. Also, another principle we can take out of this is that gospel goers depend on gospel givers. Gospel goers depend, if you will, on God's providential provision through Christian giving and hospitality. Right? Some, some of us are going to be in gospel ministry and get a paycheck from it. But the majority of Christians are, are going to be actually the givers, not goers. Some are going to go off to India like the Huddlestons did. Some are going to go off to, to China. Some are going to go off to Africa, to Mexico. Some are going to go plant a church across town. But most of us are not going to be the ones who go down into the well you know, with, with the bucket to, to, to bring up the water. Most of us are going to be holding the rope to let them down in there. And that is just as much of a service as the one who goes God feeds his people through his people. We saw that principally here. The mission goes on because the people of God involved in the mission send the missionaries out. Send the people out. And so it's it's just a joy to be a part of. In fact, later on in, in this chapter, in verse 40, Jesus is going to equate receiving the goers as receiving him and the Father. And then he speaks of the givers in verse 41 as getting a reward. Even for the seemingly insignificant act of giving someone a cup of cold water. Have you thought about that? Giving hospitality away. Loving people. Welcoming them in. Sharing the truth of God. Giving them a cup of cold water. There's a reward in that that's great and beautiful. Beautiful. Also, in application, we're to give the same gospel announcement that the apostles gave. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. We're to let the people know that the good news is that God, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, God has sent from heaven his own son as king, as ruler, as savior, as Lord. And God has demonstrated Jesus to be the king through his life, Through his teaching, through his miracles, through his suffering, through his death, and through his resurrection. All in fulfillment of scripture that was witnessed in history. So here's the point. The time of ignorance is over. Now is the time to repent of sin and to trust in Christ. And if you've never done that, you're invited today by the grace of God To turn away from the sin that would enslave and ensnare you and kill you. And to turn to your freedom, Jesus Christ. To your Savior. To your love. To your very life. May each of us in our hearts submit to Christ and receive eternal life. And then lastly, when we are proclaimers of this gospel message... We are going to face, at times, harsh rejection. We're going to see that in the coming weeks. What do we do in those moments? Not everybody's going to love you if you say, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Press on. Press on like Jesus did. Here's Jesus himself walking this planet. His own people said, don't want you, hate you, and as a matter of fact, kill you. Press on like Jesus. No matter how good the news, no matter how honest our methods, no matter how winsome our our words and our appeals, the message of the gospel will sometimes meet with harsh, even violent rejection. That was true of Jesus himself. It will be true of you. I do encourage you, though, to make sure that that rejection has nothing to do with you being a jerk. (laughs) That if they reject, it's not because of you, it's because of Christ. Amen. All of these things, all of these things are because of Jesus. Isn't he amazing? Let me call the team up to come and prepare for the communion. We're going to sing. We're going to get ready to receive the Lord's Supper. We're going to worship our great God. We're going to bask in the understanding of the grace for people like you and me. To not only be saved and called beside Jesus himself, but then to be sent out into a dark world to be the light to that world. What a gift. Freely you've received, church. Let us be those who freely give, not by any power in you, but by the power of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who has filled us with his Holy Spirit, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Father, we come to you now honored and blessed to worship and praise you. And we, we look now to our own hearts and we see our, our fears, our failures, our doubts, and we We take our eyes off of those things right now, God, because you have transformed our hearts. And we look to you, we look to your son, and we say, thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for saving someone like me, calling me, and using me. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. In Jesus' name we pray, and God's people said, amen.